The GX on Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get rolling again sooner. E. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. This might be hard to believe, but seeding in Saskatchewan is about one to two weeks away. We'll hear from Provincial Crops Extension Specialist Matt Struthers about that. The spring melt has been progressing quite rapidly in the parkland region in recent days. Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt, who lives quite a ways south of here, says the snow melt is even further along down there. We'll hear from him on that as well. Manitoba's Agriculture Minister is pleased that his province has signed on to the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership. We'll have an interview with Derek Johnson on today's program. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX and Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Another Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Eric Weglars from Precision Weather, and Eric, it's overcast and some high humidity here in the Yorkton area right now. It sounds like we could expect some precipitation a little later on. Yeah, we will, Doug. Uh, tonight, after sunsets, when well, I think we'll find our next round of snowfall. Uh, for the rest of the day today, it will be overcast. The humidity will remain high, and temperatures should end up around 6 before all is said and done this afternoon. Winds from the northeast at around 10 kilometers an hour. Nothing insane in terms of wind. We'll see periods of white snow develop tonight. Uh, in terms of new snowfall, 2 to 4 centimeters at most as we go into early Friday morning. Lows are around 0, so the snow will be wet in consistency as we go through early Friday morning, the winds will pick up from the northeast to between 10 and 20. Light, wet snow and rain is expected during the day on Friday through most of the day. Temperatures will start out around zero, then climb to around five through the afternoon. Winds remain, again, a bit breezier from the northeast at 15 to 25. And then wet snow and rain tapers off as we go into Saturday. Lows will fall back below freezing to around minus three under mostly cloudy skies. We'll see some sunshine on Saturday. Highs will jump up to around eight above. Winds pivot to the northwest at 10 to 20. And it looks like we'll see a decent amount of sunshine Sunday and the first half of Monday. And as a result, the high temperatures will be fairly modest between 11 and 12 both afternoons. Next chance of precipitation should be the second half of next week. That's Eric Weglars from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour, the Paw and Dauphin are at 7 degrees, Swan River 8, Brandon and Roblin 5, Show Lake Russell 6. Regina is at 5 degrees, Saskatoon and Hudson Bay 9, Broadview Mooseman 4, Indian Head 2, Winyard Wadena Kelvington 6. The Yorkton Melville region has an overcast sky, a northeast wind at 8 kilometers an hour, 81% is the relative humidity, the temperature is 4 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of 8 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 1 degree. 
There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is plus 9 degrees. The normal low is minus 3 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 5.59 this morning, and it will set at 7.42 tonight. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was Sprague at 17 degrees. The cold spot was Churchill at minus 12 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Loon Lake at plus 11 degrees. The cold spot was Uranium City at minus 7 degrees. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Seeding in Saskatchewan is only one to two weeks away. Provincial Crops Extension Specialist Matt Struthers says planting has been delayed by a cool spring. Seeding hasn't started yet. It's it's still really cool out there. The, um, even though the, some of those fields have uh, likely lost all the snow cover that they had, uh, the, t- the temperature is still too low to get in there. So you know, even down here in Moose Jaw and, and uh, uh, west of us towards Swift Current and then south of Swift Current, usually is where it gets started first. I'm still predicting you know probably more than a week out, just depending on the weather they get. I think the forecast isn't calling for anything that's too high in the double digits for daytime temperatures. So uh, yeah, we're still at least a week or two way before we see too many drills out there in the ground. He says that seeding would be a little later than normal this spring. Well, you know, in some years when uh, the, when the moisture's low and, and the heat's turned on pretty quick there in April, uh, we've seen seeders, you know, start the first week of, of April. So it all kind of depends on, the, on the, the year-to-year conditions. But, I mean, if we're a little bit delayed, you know, if we get started seeding, uh, you know, with the majority of farmers out there in the beginning of May, uh, you know, they can make quick work of that as long as the conditions hold out. If we get any more snow or rain between now and then, you know, that'll slow them up a little bit even more. And then, again, if we get snow or so, if we get rain in, in early May, that'll slow them down. So as long as things just continue to dry up and the weather starts to get a little warmer, we'll, we'll be in no, no trouble at all. Struthers says the southwest part of Saskatchewan will start seeding first, with the rest of the province likely beginning in May. Yeah, yeah, certainly. As long as the uh, as long as the weather holds out, I know they're calling for some snow and rain on the next couple of days here. And if that doesn't show up, then you know things will continue to, to dry out. But if we keep getting that moisture, it'll just further delay, and and we just need those high daytime temperatures to really get things going. As for soil moisture conditions across Saskatchewan, you no, know, it, it's it's kind of spotty. About, it depends on where you are, but it seems like the eastern half of the province had some pretty good snow cover, and up into the north. Uh, as well as areas in the west central but of course in the west central and southwest there were a lot of areas again uh, once again uh, that didn't get the snow that they would uh, hope for uh, and you know runoff was minimal snow coverage is minimal so they're they're looking at a bit of a drier spring as they have in the last couple of years and so hopefully they get those uh, springtime rains that they'll desperately need to ensure that their crop can come up and and uh, and thrive you know other parts of the province you know likely looking at a uh, like we just discussed a delayed seeding date but also they might be seeding around more water in their fields than normal. And Struthers hasn't heard much about seeding intentions for this spring. We haven't heard yet. I think we'll we'll have a better grasp on that in the next couple weeks here uh, as we get a little closer to the seeding dates. Uh, you know, things always change, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, what's going on in the market, what's going on out there is weather and conditions wise. So, uh, yeah, when we get closer to the seeding operations getting underway, we'll have a much better idea of what the producers are thinking about putting in. 
Matt Struthers is the Crops Extension Specialist for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture at the Knowledge Centre in Moose Jaw. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. New Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. X94, AgriView. One of the big banks is making a major donation to agricultural research at the University of Saskatchewan. BMO is investing $2 million in the fields of regenerative agriculture and digital agriculture. Part of the money will be used to hire a research chair in regenerative agriculture and establishing a new soil analytics laboratory. It will expand the current capability for characterizing soil carbon and nitrogen dynamics, which is a cornerstone for quantifying regenerative agriculture impacts. June Zimmer is the regional president for BMO Private Wealth Canada. We spent an incredible day, you know, touring some of the facilities and, and the labs here at the College of Agriculture and Biosciences. And, and really what we're looking to support here is, is three things, which is one, to accelerate critical research into regenerative agriculture. The investment is also going to help support harnessing digital capabilities, which will share data and grow understanding from those labs. And then thirdly, we're really excited through this to be able to enable world-leading training for students in advanced agricultural practices. Um, we had the opportunity, as I mentioned, to tour some of the labs today, meet some of the graduate students who are doing you know, incredible work um, in these areas, and it's really just such exciting stuff for us. BMO's donation is part of the University of Saskatchewan's upcoming Be What the World Needs campaign. According to analyst Errol Anderson of ProMarket Communications in Calgary, there is presently little upside to new crop November canola on ice futures. Anderson points to losses in Malaysian palm oil and weakness in China's soy meal market as weighing on ice canola values, with more pressure coming out of South America. The U.S. Department of Agriculture on Tuesday bumped up its call on the Brazilian soybean harvest by 1 million metric tons at a record 154 million tons in the department's latest supply and demand report. Meanwhile, drought-ravaged Argentina saw its production chopped by 6 million metric tons at only 25 million. At one time, there had been hopes of Argentina reaping 40 million metric tons or more of soybeans. Colorado is the first U.S. state to pass right-to-repair legislation for farmers. The Consumer Right-to-Repair Agriculture Equipment Act passed 46-14 to 14 in Colorado Senate late Tuesday night. Colorado Governor Jared Polis has 10 days to sign the bill into law, and he is expected to do so according to a spokesperson. Equipment makers have generally required customers to use their authorized dealers for repairs on combines and tractors. Colorado's legislation would mandate farm machinery manufacturers to provide farmers with diagnostic tools, software documents, and repair manuals starting January 1st. Similar resources must be made available to independent technicians. 
Lawmakers amended the bill to include language that farmers and repair shops will not be authorized to make modifications to functions related to security or emissions. Meat packers and other companies in the food supply chain need to do a better job taking steps to ensure illegal child labor isn't being used in their operations or by suppliers, subcontractors or other vendors. That's according to U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. In a letter to 18 of the country's largest meat and poultry companies, Vilsack advised the packing industry to take more actions to ensure their supply chains are not using illegal child labor. The letter comes after a food sanitation company, Packers Sanitation Services, Inc., was fined $1.5 million in February following a Department of Labor investigation that found at least 102 children from ages 13 to 17 years old were working in hazardous occupations, often on overnight shifts, in at least 13 meat processing facilities across eight states. France will ensure that a decision by health and safety agency ANSES to ban the use of a pesticide in direct contact with grains does not hamper its exports outside the European Union. In late October, ANSES cleared the use of phosphine tablets used for killing pests through fumigation, but said they could not be in direct contact with cereals, thereby threatening exports to markets that require the process, including Algeria, Egypt and Morocco. And be sure to listen to the latest GX on Agriculture podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's overcast and four degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. The spring melt has been progressing quite rapidly in the parkland region in recent days. Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt, who lives in the Assiniboia area in the south-central part of the province, says the snow belt is even further ahead in southern Saskatchewan. Well, I mean, it, down in our part of the world, the snow is really going fast. We've had temperatures in around the 20 degrees the last few days, so, the, you know, the bulk of the snow is gone. The, I saw a lot of water running the last few days in my travel. Dugouts are filling up, which is good to see. Obviously, seeding is going to be delayed when you look at where there's more snow, but hopefully the warm temperature will have the snow going, you know, going into the ground where it's much needed, and obviously filling dugouts as well in, in many parts of the province. So for all in all, for the most part, yeah, it's going to be delayed a bit, but I don't think farmers are too concerned about that. They were more uh, worried about spring moisture. He believes soil moisture conditions in most parts of Saskatchewan are pretty decent right now. I think for the most part, it's, it's pretty good. Obviously, there's still pockets where there wasn't a, a lot of snow. But a month ago, there was a pretty good snowfall that went through the southwest and the west central part of the province that obviously gave us some much-needed moisture. And that will obviously be going into the ground. And, and also, some of it will be running and filling some dugouts. So all in all, uh, I think the moisture conditions for the province, like I say, there's probably some pockets that are isolated that definitely need will do need more. We know that. But I think they're pretty thankful we got what we got you know, just in the last month or so. But Merritt notes there could be some ice jamming issues on a number of southern river systems, including the Quapel River. Yeah, there could be. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I came into Regina, you know, coming uh, south of Moose Jaw, obviously the creek there, there's ice on it. But for the most part, the water's flowing. But 
I guess we just make sure that people are cautious around this. It could cause some flooding, and we just want to make sure everybody's aware of it. I'm sure most of the municipalities are watching. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt. It's time now for the livestock market conditions, and that's a presentation of Heartland Livestock in Yorkton. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for June closed at 164.50 today. That's down 35. August live cattle closed at 163.25, down 72. May feeder cattle closed at 207.80, down 77. August feeder cattle closed at 224.97, also down 77. May lean hogs closed at 79.95, down 157. June lean hogs closed at 85.65, down 190. And that's the livestock market conditions. Now it's time for the Heartland Livestock Report from Yorkton. Good afternoon. This is the Yorkton Heartland Livestock Market Report for the week of April the 12th. Just a one-day short due to the Easter break with uh, 1,625 in the short, 230 cows and bulls, a total of 1,855 going through the ring. This pre-short was very strong and active and higher in spots. This cow market was also higher. D1, D2 cows, 125 to 135, sales to 142, 143, D3 cows, 115 to 125. Cows are averaging 125. Some fancy cows from the Saudi area, 17 to 1,800-pound cows, bringing 153 to 154. Good bulls, 134 to 144, sales to 156 to 157. Bulls are averaging 144. Another fancy bull from the Roblin area topped out, a 2,300-pound bull topped out at 162. On to the pre-short sale. This sale was strong and active. Listen up. 425-pound steers, 361. 500-pound black steers, 349. 575-pound tan steers, 340. 650s at 323. My favorite pen, 710-pound red-black exotic steers, 309. 800-pounders, 291. 850-pound red-black exotic steers at 270 and 950-pound steers at 253. On the heifer side, 425-pound heifers, 326. 500-pound tan heifers, 309. 71 black heifers weighing 575 pounds topped out at 301. 650-pound red-black exotic heifers, 286. The 710-pound tans at 274. 775s at 266. The 850-pound heifers, 250 and 950-pound heifers, 230. The highlight of the morning, I would have to go with 785-pound tan steers at 292.50. And the heifers, 575 red-black exotic heifers, topped out at 303.50. This Friday, April 14th, sheep, lamb, and goat sale, receiving today from 12 to 8 and Friday right up until sale time. Sale time is 11 o'clock this Friday, and there is no horse sale. Our next bread cow and cow-cat pair sale is Friday, April 28th taking consignments for that sale. That's it for this week at Heartland Yorkton. I'm Harvey Exner. Have a good day. Welcome back to GX and Agriculture. Manitoba's Agriculture Minister is pleased that his province has signed on to the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership. 
Derek Johnson says the program was two years in the making. Yeah, well, I think probably uh, it's a five-year agreement, and uh, as soon as the one is signed, they start working on the next one. It's, uh, uh, you know, the, the department works hard on ensuring that this is uh, uh, something that continues on, and uh, we try and leverage what we can as a provincial government from the federal government and uh, reinvest it. So we were fortunate enough to have... Um, 221 million in investments into the Manitoba agri-food and agri-products. Of course, uh, our focus is on uh, sustainability and increasing sector revenue and exports and increasing the participation of Indigenous peoples, women and youth in agriculture, along with uh, the agri-food industry is uh, very important. I think you've seen that grow in Manitoba, even at a, at a distance, uh, and envious of many sectors. Overall, we have a 25% funding increase uh, from the previous CAP agreement into the SCAP. He says the suite of programs in the Manitoba SCAP is wide-ranging. Yeah, there's, uh, of, of course, same as other provinces. Agri-stability is moving from 70 to uh, 80%. For Manitoba, it's going to be our largest ever contribution to agri-insurance at $103.1 million. We do have a couple of uh, program focus areas that uh, obviously we're, we're working on as a government, and we'll launch the, the program under you know, the, the different priority areas, including uh, new programming and the continuation of some of the existing uh, CAP programs, so now referred to as SCAP, I guess, in the new agreement. So our launch of programs will uh, will have started and they'll continue to go uh, from April of this year uh, and go through the spring, summer and uh, and even into the fall as we align with industry's needs, of course, and, uh, and their operational demands. Johnson says one of the programs is the new Resilient Agricultural Landscape Program. Yeah, RELP is, uh, is very important and we're very proud to have uh, uh, been able to get our Ag Crown lands in the um, uh, included in there in, in our uh, RELP program uh, and that's uh, just regenerative egg and, and the programs that we can do to focus on you know making our soil healthier and uh, a lot of other things that go along with that. We're focusing on increasing the environmental resilience of the agriculture landscape and there's different ways of doing this but you know, by increasing the adoption of on-farm land use and management practices, for example, anything that would uh, remove carbon or carbon dioxide from the atmosphere to uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions and and whatnot. The first uh, RELP program will be launched, will be focused on uh, watershed resilience, and it, it will be available, uh, as I mentioned, not only to our ag crown land, but to our community pastures as well. And, and uh, obviously producers, regular producers, but our agriculture crown land forage leaseholders will have access to this, including First Nation and Métis communities, and as I mentioned, obviously uh, uh, farmers as well. He notes Manitoba's SCAP program doesn't only help producers manage significant risks that threaten the viability of their farms. Yeah, and uh, incentivize uh, change, right? Uh, a lot of People in general are, are resistant to change, and uh, some producers are no different. 
but if they have a financial incentive to make those investments and, and share that investment, and that's what starts, uh, starts change and progress. And then the neighbors look over and see, oh, wow, look at that uh, land. That's, uh, that's improved over the last five years by uh, the change uh, in, in uh, the, the producer's operation. So, you know, that's kind of the goal of any government programming, I think, is to, uh, to help make change course we're not taking away from our focus on uh, science and research uh, for example or market development and trade um, we also want to focus on uh, building sector capacity growth and and uh, competitiveness I think that's important for any province and um, public trust is very important as well so that's uh, some of the other sectors that we're going to uh, ensure that we're investing in Johnson says he would have liked to have seen funding for some other areas, but it just didn't work for this five-year program. You always hope, but I want to focus on the positives here, and we have some positives that the producers uh, should be excited to uh, participate in. Uh, again, focusing, I'm big on, uh, on science-based solutions, so I'm very happy to see that we were uh, able to continue investments and science and research and innovation and um, I think it's important that we capture emerging opportunities and this will all help us to remain uh, competitive both domestically and globally. On another topic Johnson says the spring melt is in full swing in Manitoba right now. Yeah there's a lot of field poking through now and when the sun gets at it it certainly uh, starts pulling that frost out fairly quick. We had uh, Minimal snow this year compared to last year. Uh, last year was a, an issue. Uh, we had a lot of excess moisture. Uh, we do expect a lot of moisture coming up the Red River, though, So and the challenges that come along with it. But I think, uh, in general, our overland flooding and stuff will be, uh, it won't be non-existent, but it'll be minimal. That's Manitoba Agriculture Minister Derek Johnson. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up right after this. Commodities update. Canola futures closed down across the board today. May canola closed at 7.7060, down 40 cents. July canola closed at 7.4130, down 80 cents. May Minneapolis wheat closed at 8.49 and a half down ten and a half cents. May Kansas City wheat closed at eight forty five and a quarter, down eighteen and a quarter cents. May Chicago wheat closed at six sixty seven per bushel, down twelve and a half cents. May corn closed at six fifty two and a quarter, down three and three quarters of a cent. May soybeans closed at fifteen oh one per bushel down three and a quarter cents. May oats closed at three thirty-two and a quarter, down three and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. A market analyst says grain prices remain volatile this spring. FarmLink Marketing Solutions chief analyst Neil Townsend says wheat and canola are reflecting some market pressure from good supplies in Europe but weather is also a key factor for North America. Yeah, I think it's a tale of two markets right now. Like we have, um, or some, you know, interesting things happening in the markets. Like we have sort of like uh, the European market 
is projecting a very bearish tone. I think a lot of their farmers uh, didn't sell, particularly in the eastern part of the European Union. They didn't sell when the prices were high, and now they've got you know, product left behind, and they're staring down the pipe of having another crop coming relatively soon. But that's not really the feel in North America. In North America, we have, you know, steady, strong export demand, you know, good domestic demand. And plus, we're sort of looking at still a lot of cold weather and snow across the northern plains of the United States and definitely Canada. We haven't really started planting or even thought about starting planting in in any real sense in Western Canada. And that sort of provided a bit of like uh, nearby strength, I guess, in the markets. And we've seen wheat sort of, you know, after like a multi-weeks of selling off, we've seen that sort of start to tilt higher just a little bit. Big concerns about the U.S. hard red winter crop in Kansas, like a pretty, you know, historical drought there that's just being persistent and, and keeps going. There was rain in the forecast, just a little tiny bit. They took it out. It's still staying dry. The crop conditions are terrible. So, you know, we're staring down having like last year's HRW crop was the smallest of all time. And there's a possibility that this crop, despite more acres will end up being smaller, both because of, you know, higher abandonment, but also significant and serious yield threat. So on the wheat side, I think the big signal that's being sent to farmers is that, you know, we need to get it planted and we need to get it growing. Has that translated into like really firm, good, attractive new crop prices? Not quite yet. I mean, historically, they're not bad, but they don't really have the dynamic nature that you might expect given sort of the crucial elements that are in play for the world really needing a successful Canadian crop and calling on us to have a greater exportable surplus in 23-24. As for canola... Well, canola is also a, a tale of two worlds. And I mean, the European market has really weighed heavy on the canola complex. And it's an interesting dynamic because Canada has not been a big force in terms of exporting to the European Union this year, You know, much smaller this year than we were the previous two years. But this collapse that started in the pricing in the European Union has really translated back out into, you know, definitely the ice futures. We've seen them go down quite a bit. And canola has gotten cheaper, but, you know, I wouldn't say the prices in Western Canada fully collapsed. Like, they've come down throughout the year. You know, we were ended last year sort of above 20, and this year we've spent a lot of time sort of in that 18 to 19 range and then, you know, maybe got down into the mid-16s here with the latest sort of thing. But the one thing I'll say about canola and this is something for everybody to think, like canola is a premium oil seed. People have been valuing the veg oil. You know, there's all this clamor about renewable diesel and biodiesel and growing demand for those over the, you know, the next several years. So by making something relatively cheaper and, you know, canola got to a place where it hadn't gotten in many, many decades in the European Union where it was trading below soybeans, below rapeseed oil, all of these kinds of things. When you make a premium oil seed that has a lot of industrial usages for exactly what the world's going towards with this renewable diesel and biodiesel, it's hard to imagine a scenario where you've actually killed demand. And that that's my main point on canola. I think the demand has been very solid. And even the naysayers, the bears about canola, they, they find it hard to kind of acknowledge that aspect that by making it cheaper relative to where it was it's hard to kill demand and i've seen very strong demand we just had a week 
you know, in week 34 of the CGC reporting week where almost 500,000 tons of canola was disposed of in that one week through crush and, and exports. I mean, we didn't have a gigantic crop last year, somewhere in the 18s or maybe if we're generous in the low 19 million ton range. And, you know, to disappear 500,000 tons of canola in one week, in week 34, again, that's what happens when you lower the price. Now, what are the price prospects for canola? I mean, it really, really depends on the growing sequence in Canada and the yield in Canada. I mean, if we if we have a, a trend yield on 22 million acres of planted canola, well, yes, canola prices will probably suffer a bit. But if we fail to get the acres, which I'm less certain about, but if, if the yield shows any problems, any sort of, you know, you know, issues, perceptions of issues, then, you know, canola will have to, uh, the price will have to adjust and we'll see probably some more strength in canola. Neil Townsend is the chief market analyst for the FarmLink Marketing Solutions, on tomorrow's program, Townsend will discuss the outlook for feed grains and pulse crops. Please stay tuned. Your agriculture weather is coming up next. The GX on Agriculture podcast has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get rolling again sooner.